Hey, hey. Okay, so you guys know that I've moved my platform over to Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki. So everything is moved there. That's where I'm now housing all my parenting content. For a dollar a month, you can access all the episodes of my podcast, but no worries if you don't want to do any financial commitment at all. We'll continue to release selected episodes here on your favorite listening platform. And just so you know, I also put up free public posts and mini podcasts on that Patreon page. So all you have to do is head over to that main page, patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki, and you can see my free public posts and mini podcasts. Head over there to check it all out. And now on to today's show. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey guys, welcome. So before I even begin this podcast, I want to let you know that two days ago, a coyote came after my chickens. My chickens were free ranging and this coyote was huge. And I had to run out with a shotgun. I didn't get him, but he got my chicken. And when coyotes realize that they can get a chicken for free from your yard, they kind of stick around and linger till your flock is gone. So all by way of saying that I'm trying my best to record this podcast in silence, but my dog goes berserk when the coyote's somewhere in the vicinity. And I'm looking out the window and should this coyote start going after my chickens, I might have to get up and go scare him. <laughs> and so <laughs> coyotes are actually afraid of humans. So you can just kind of go out and wave your arms around, but that is what I'm currently dealing with. So my life is full of coyote chasing, which it sounds all well and good to have a cute stone cottage in the middle of the woods, but you chase off coyotes. And the other night I had a snake in my living room. It was a little snake, but I don't like snakes. And I jumped up and stayed up on a bookcase. <laughs> That's I couldn't deal. So yeah, so cute, charming, the stone cottage in the middle of the woods is lovely, except there's a whole lot of nature around. <laughs> All right. So I want to start this episode with a little bit of a story that's an analogy for what the rest of this episode is about. When Pascal started to learn how to ride a bike, a two-wheeler where he could kind of go faster than me. We lived in the city and we lived in Providence and we lived near several colleges. So there were a lot of like clueless college kids. One thing I noticed about being in a college town is that mostly that age group that's in college, they don't look lower than their phone, right? So they're kind of on their phone and they don't see lower. So like even walking on some popular college streets, they would routinely bump into Pascal. Like he just wasn't in their range of vision. So this made me nervous because the houses are very close together. And we, in Providence, it's a lot of those like three-story tenements. And so a lot of landlords rent out to college students. Suffice it to say, my neighborhood was full of college students exiting their driveways at top speed, oftentimes on their phone. So him learning to ride a bike was like, you know, heart attack city because I had to like, okay, you got to really watch out for the driveways. You got to watch out for the driveways. And I remember the first time he kind of went ahead of me. I just, I had this heart attack because I was like, how am I ever going to let this kid drive? Like riding a bike in the city is so <laughs> stressful. I had this like future trip meltdown about him driving. He was like five or six. And it took me a minute to talk myself off the ledge and say, listen, 
between five and 16, there's going to be a lot of development, a lot of judgment and uh, frontal lobe development, and it won't be done, but it, it will be a lot more than at five. And so there's this like range of things that are going to happen in those years. And of course, then I was like, I've heard that you don't know true fear till that first time you see your kid drive away without you. It's still pretty scary, but <laughs> but there's this range of development that's going to happen between learning to ride a bike and learning to drive. And I tell you that story because I left in the last podcast, one of the last things I said was, you know, phone monitoring and porn. And if you wanted to talk about that and I thought about it, I was like, wow, that must seem like two really bizarre things to bring up when mostly I work with toddlers, but it's not, it's not silly and it's not too soon because phone use is going to come up way faster than you think. And even if you think your kid is not going to have a phone or you're going to do like a light phone or a phone that has no internet, you know, so that your kid can text you, but maybe not get involved in the internet, it's still going to be an issue because other kids are going to have it. And besides the phone, the biggest thing about the phone is you instantly get access to the internet and you can have parental controls and you can be very concerned about your own kid, but there are going to be other kids and there are going to be other kids that teach your kid and your kid's going to recognize the power of Google. And no matter what blocks you put up, I can tell you right now, children will find a way around the blocks. And so it's better to start thinking in the same terms of between five and 16, there's all this development. Same thing with you guys, even though you just have toddlers right now, and I know you're you're mired in daily toddler life, so this is definitely an episode you might want to save. Or for those of you on Patreon who have kids who are, you know, kind of aging out of my toddler work and they're six, seven and, and moving into the tweens. So it may seem like a leap, but it's not because you can't just hand a kid a phone and be like, oh, don't access the whole internet. Don't look at porn. There's a thing called sexting. Don't send nude pictures. Like you can't do that when a kid is 10. That's not how the conversation goes, right? <laughs> and so there are all these miniature conversations that help the development of the skills that your child's going to need when they enter the years where other people will have unfettered use of phones, unfettered use of the internet, even though your child may not, okay? The reason I bring up porn, and this just might seem like a really weird topic to bring up in this podcast, but the reason I bring up porn is it's a really big deal and it becomes a big deal faster than you would imagine. The problem again is that there's kind of always an in for it if your child has internet access and they will see things, whether it's through Google, whether it's through another kid. There are so many ways in, no matter how locked down you are. And it's a big deal because porn has changed. So when I was a kid, porn was like, I don't know, mom answered the door, the pizza guy came in, there was limited conversation. And then they were, you know, doing it on the living room floor. And that was like, that was it. That was the be all to end all. Porn has gotten very bizarre. And I, I know this, not because I watch porn, <laughs> but, but because I keep up with a lot of 
people who do and who the cautionary tales. Porn is very violent these days. It's very misogynistic. And what happens is if if children get access to it too soon, clearly it goes in the wrong way. But also young men who are more drawn to pornography, it skews their entire view of women. Yeah. And I can even tell, you know, being older and in the dating pool over the years, I could see how it changed men's vision of women. So it's very different. Um, There's also some porn that's like got a hypnotic aspect to it. And so it can be just very addicting. It hits all the dopamine receptors. It hits all the things like cocaine or crack or meth does in the brain. So there's reasons to be very concerned. But of course, there's also bullying with online access, photos that can be shared without consent, and sexting, these kinds of things. So there's all this other side of phone use that becomes a really bigger deal, right? And so I bring this up, again, relating back to the driving versus riding a bike is because these are blossoming conversations. Again, you can't just like hand the kid the phone and open with all these conversations because your kids will be like, stop talking to me. (laughs) I don't want to hear these things, right? Now, let's pull this back and dive into this. I want to give you sort of a roadmap for how to introduce these concepts very slowly and very gently so that we're not jarring the children. We're not giving them more information than they need at any given time, but that we're planting the seeds for these conversations so that they can blossom. So that by the time you get to these ages where you may have to be like very forthright about pornography, about sexting, about pictures without consent, that it's not a shock and you're not trying to overload your kid, right? Now, way back in season one, I brought some of this up in talking about the hard things, right? Because talking about sex with kids, it's a big deal. And again, there's so many theories out here and your views on this may be based in religion, your religious practices. However you view this, this is my personal and professional opinion. But of course, it's your child and you're going to have your own way of doing it. The idea that there is the talk, and I cannot believe I still hear this in today's societies. Oh, I have to sit down and have the talk with my kid. It is craziness. I can't believe that anybody would try to, number one, wait till a child is about 11 or 12 when they're preteen, when they might be starting puberty, right? And puberty often is a long process to sit down when your child's starting that and try to give them all the information, which by now they've heard information. So you're going to be trying to correct information and give that to the child all at once. The idea that we would give them all that information, because there's so much information, right? With puberty, there's masturbation, there's orgasms, there's the pleasure component, there's crushes that you'll have. There's girls or boys that will come on too heavy. How do you handle advances? How do you handle consent? And then if you're trying to really explain the mechanics of sex, along with all of that, it's just going to be overloaded. Not to mention that at that age, your child probably is going to be like, dying of embarrassment and will not be able to hear you because their brain will be so full of white noise of embarrassment. So it's far better to start introducing all these things in very careful and again, not giving too much information for the child at any given age, but giving this information kind of slowly, metering it out throughout the years. I'm here to tell you that the mechanics of sex are the easiest part of this 
whole blossoming conversation. And I know this because I work with farm kids and farm kids are very used to bringing their female goat to the male goat on a farm, pay $75 for an injection of sperm, you know, and it's really funny because the goats like court each other. But if you live on a farm, sex and procreation and reproduction is, it's a fact of life. And so the mechanics of sex are not the difficult part. The difficult part is all the other stuff, like especially when you have to introduce feelings, hormonal feelings, crushes, liking people, and the pleasure aspect. I think I've told this story before. Pascal talked about reproductive stuff kind of all the time. At three, he got a little confused about the female egg and started saying that women like laid babies. <laughs> so we put that part of it on hold till he had a little more conceptual understanding. But when he was about, oh gosh, I think he was probably six or seven, he walked in on me and my fiance in the midst of some intimate affairs. And the biggest question he had was not the mechanics. The biggest question he has was why it looked like I was having a heart attack, how that could feel good. So introducing that pleasure component is another thing that has to happen. Now, much like when we talked about, you know, Santa and my story about Pascal and Santa, there is a veil that children have, and you can tell if you've given them too much information, they almost won't hear it. So I've seen that time and time again, where it just kind of goes right over their head. They're not really ready to hear it, right? But there is an aspect that a lot of parents will wait till their children ask questions, you know, and I'm here to tell you just like, wait till they're ready with potty training. There is no wait till they're ready because some kids will never ask. Sometimes there's just no curiosity there or it just never occurs to them to ask where babies come from. I think that's the most typical question that opens this conversation. Where do babies come from? And that's when parents start to freak out. So you can always start that conversation with, you know, well, they grow in a mom's uterus. You don't have to say they come out of a vagina. You don't have to introduce C-sections. You know, you don't have to say those things. At first you could say, you know, I love the explanation when a child's very young is that a seed is planted and the seed grows. And I think that's an appropriate thing for, you know, say a three-year-old because the sperm is the seed and it is planted. <laughs> so, but you can always use sperm and you can always use egg and those kinds of things, but it probably won't go in. So how this podcast episode came about is I was talking to one of my dear friends, Jen, and her kids are definitely of the age. Her daughter is going to be getting a phone, you know, probably a phone that doesn't have internet attached to it, but also just the, um, you know, her particular children just haven't been that curious about this. And so she realized like, oh, even though they're not asking, I still need to introduce this stuff, right? And one of the things that happens is, you know, they've had books and she's introduced these concepts, but the kids didn't really retain the whole nut of it, right? And so they didn't also make the connection of like, oh, the sperm and the egg and the ovaries and the uterus and all of this stuff and the testes, they didn't connect that with actual sex, right? That's important to note because a lot of times we will tell our children these things and they won't retain it till it becomes important, right? It's really hard to retain information that is useless to you. And so they may not retain any of this. So it's good to just kind of, again, as you're going through the years, plant the seeds, see how they grow. You might have to revisit them. But the real takeaway is that you don't want to just wait till they ask because it may be too late. And again, they may not hear you. 
So let's dive into this so I can give you maybe a little direction. Again, a little bit of like a roadmap, right? I think the biggest thing, I, intuitively, I approached the biggest, the chunkiest parts of these conversations when Pascal was like eight. And I think I just knew that if I waited much longer, he would be so embarrassed. And now, you know, he's 15, but I can tell you right now, 12, 13, 14, 11, maybe even, they can't even hear you. So you just want to like meter this stuff out and get it in. Again, you might have to revisit it, but it's easier to revisit than it is to just try to unpack this all in like one or two conversations, right? The other thing is the idea of this, like, leave it to Beaver. Let's go have the talk in the bedroom. The minute you are in that zone. First of all, you're putting on your teacher voice, which I've told you about before. No kid is going to listen to you if you're like, son, let's sit on the, on your bed and have a discussion. Yeah. Like they're not going to hear that. So a lot of these conversations should happen on the fly in the car where I don't know, I find all the shit hits the fan with conversations in the car. Like when you're trying to drive and you're distracted and you don't have the skills, like, you know, even things like you know, mommy, what is God or who is God or what happens when we die? Like these really big conversations have always happened in the car for me personally. (laughs) But I think it's okay because the more casual we can make this, the more the information just becomes information and it doesn't become loaded. If you make this a really big deal, not that sex isn't a big deal. Absolutely it is. But the information, if you treat it like it's totally taboo, your kid is going to know that it has power. And let me tell you something, they can and will use that power against you in any given circumstances. The mommy Miranda writes, I call it. (laughs) Now, I'm sure, you know, most of my audience, I feel like is kind of similar. And I think everybody's really body positive. And, you know, most parents I work with and most parents I know definitely like use the correct body terms, you know, so right away, right out of the gates, you know, make sure you're using the anatomically correct terms, mostly because this has to do later with consent. And we want to put our children always in a safe position when it comes to inappropriateness, creepy people, tricky people, any sort of sexual abuse can happen in the oddest moments. And so you may think you can completely protect your child, but you can't. So what we do is we arm them. We arm them with the right information. So there's a story that circulates on the internet, and I don't know that it's true, but Even if it's not, I think it's a point well taken, which is like, you know, a teacher noticed a child was out of sorts. And she said, you know, my uncle touched my cookie or my uncle licked my cookie. And, you know, the teacher thought nothing of it. She was like, oh, well, the kid's just upset because the uncle took her cookie. And that was the parents had given the child the word cookie for her vagina. And so she was trying to tell the teacher that she was being abused, but she was not because she didn't have the right term. Again, I don't know if it's true or not. It sounds a little too compact to be an actual true story, but I think even as an allegory, it really works. Like you don't want to give your kid a cute name or something that could be confused because if they're trying to relay inappropriate touching, it can get very confusing or be misunderstood and not caught. So, you know, we always want to use the anatomically correct words, but I also think as your child grows, and I would say somewhere in the like five to six range, you do also want to teach them the slang because they may be unaware of that. And again, if they get into a tricky situation or an awful situation, having 
the knowledge of what other people call these body parts can be helpful. So like with Pascal, it was like, oh, those are your testicles, you know, but some people call them balls. Some people call them their junk. He came home one day, like thrilled that he had heard, oh, mom, you can call it your package. I said, family jewels, you know, these are all other names for your testicles. And so I would always give him the real name and then the slang names. And so he could be aware of that. He always called it by its real name. So I don't think you necessarily have to be concerned that they're going to call it something, you know, in public. (laughs) And I have always referred, you know, I said a lot of people refer to this area as your privates because it is private. This is a part of your body, like all your body. Nobody should be touching it without you wanting them to, except your mom and your doctor. We talked about when he was like maybe six or seven, the idea that like you can trust your feeling. If even if you're in a doctor's office, look, we had those freaking gymnasts sexually abused right in front of their parents. If you have a sick feeling in your stomach about the way somebody is touching you, like you need to trust that feeling. So that's a concept you can also introduce as far as like consent. And again, this is in the like the five, six, seven range. Yeah. Remember, you're probably going to always address the mechanics of sex first, right? That usually comes first that again with the like how are babies made and you can meter that out. One piece of advice I got when Pascal was this age was, you know, don't give them all the information that you have. You don't have to do that. If they ask where our babies come from, you say, you know, like how they come into the world. You can answer in smaller chunks. Like again, well, babies grow in the uterus and then usually they come through the vaginal canal. You don't have to introduce you know, some babies are born in the Petri dish. You don't have to introduce C-sections because if your kid is too young, like the idea of like a baby being cut out, that might not be appropriate. So those are conversations that you can have as the child grows, but you can definitely, you know, I think the easiest is, oh, they grow in the uterus. And Pascal used to say that, like, he was so funny. Like people would say, oh, I have a baby in my belly. And he was like, um, no, you don't. You have a baby in your uterus. And I'd be like, stop, you're being a jerk. (laughs) You know, when kids learn about sex in school and middle school or high school, I really maintain that it's really, they really need to know more about the hormones and how that affects you and how it makes you think differently and maybe act not with your brain all the time. So again, I think that's the conversation that has to happen at like 12, not the mechanics of sex. Once the child does start going through puberty and, it, and it's happening sooner and sooner for a lot of kids or even pre-puberty, there seems to be a, a bigger lead up than I remember when I was a kid, but maybe that's because I was unaware of it, that they will again be too embarrassed or their actual hormones won't let them listen to you. <laughs> now, when you talk about sex and masturbation is going to come up. So for us as a family, there were a lot of things that I was like, well, I know you can't really understand this right now. So like when we did talk about sex, you want to have a book. There's plenty out there. Um, I know when I talked about this earlier, you know, two years ago, I mentioned a book that I had. I can't find it and I don't know what it is, but you just want everything that's labeled. And there's a lot of things. So how discussing puberty kept coming up for us because Pascal was very interested He called it connecting and coupling, which is how model trains are connected. So I think that's really interesting because that's called coupling. And he was like, oh, so they're like coupling, you know? And I was like, yeah. And then he was like, so they connect. And he looked at me, you know, like with his little eight-year-old face. This was more like when he was eight. Yeah. He said, "Uh, I don't want to connect. 
And I was like, no, I know you don't want to connect now. I know it seems really gross to connect, but there will come a time that you want to connect. And there were several conversations where we kept saying, I was like, well, that, that'll happen in puberty. So then puberty became this huge, like, box. He was like, oh, that's going to happen with the puberty. And so he called it the puberty. And and then it became like, I remember thinking, oh, wow, for some reason he thinks this is like, like one day, all this stuff, he's going to open this box and there's going to be all the puberty things. So then I had to like introduce puberty and what that was about. And then we had to talk about like masturbation and and the exact words I used, I remember because they were so effective. So I want to share them with you so you can perhaps use them yourselves. I said, you know, when you touch your penis, it feels pretty good, right? And he was like, yeah. And I said, at some point in puberty, it's going to feel really good. And you're going to want to go, you're going to want to squeeze your hand harder and you're want to going to go faster. And I said, there's going to be a feeling of like kind of running towards a cliff or a, a feeling that it's going to get more and more exciting. I said, and then you're going to ejaculate and it's going to be like your penis exploded. And that's ejaculation. Some people call it cum. Some people call it jizz. And he was like, oh, okay. That's how I introduced Introduced it and it served me really well. And so feel free to use my exact words, but I think that's just a, a nonplussed way. I just said it in this voice and he was able to like track it and hang on to it without it being embarrassing or without it being like taboo or super loaded. Then I introduced nocturnal emissions and like, okay, sometimes this will happen in your sleep. Just let me know and we can, you know, wash your sheets. And so I think the more you can just keep it at this level and keep it. It's just information. It's information. It's a tricky thing because I don't want to say the sooner you can do it, the better, because there are ages. They're not going to track it or they're going to be like, no, 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 no. Just stop talking about this. And I have heard kids do that. If parents start to go too thick into like where babies come from too soon, but you definitely, again, want to hit it before it starts happening because then it's kind of weird. Again, with any of the terms that you're using, make sure that you are constantly talking about consent and tricky feelings and tricky people and that you can trust that and you can always go to any, any, any grown-up. So if you want to introduce the slang words and you're not really sure, you can always ask your kid, like kindergarten, first grade. I'm telling you right now, they're talking about their privates. <laughs> they're talking about either buttholes or penises or balls or they're talking about something. So, you know, when you're doing things like, I don't know, taking a bath or getting dressed, you might say like, oh, those are your testicles. Have you heard, you know, any other names for those? And you can get a good sense of like what your child might be hearing or not hearing. Yeah. So. By 10 or 11, a lot of this should happen because again, now your child has a phone. So now what happens now? How do you deal with that? And one of the phrases I know, again, I was talking to my friend Jen about this and she was talking about, she had heard some experts say, you know, that they sat with their kids and they squeezed toothpaste out of a toothpaste tube as a, is that a metaphor or an analogy? I think that's a metaphor, right? (laughs) Of once something's out on the internet, once you text something, once you send a picture, once somebody takes a picture of you, once it's out of the toothpaste tube, you can't get the toothpaste back in. I think that's a really, really shitty metaphor because I don't think any kid in a moment of sexting or inappropriate, whatever, bullying, inappropriateness, whatever it is, I don't think they're going to think in that terms. So we were talking and we came up with the phrase, once somebody takes a picture of you, you don't have control of that picture. 
they do. So anytime somebody takes a picture of you, and it doesn't have to be a dirty picture, it doesn't have to be a nude picture, it could be just a picture, but you no longer have control of that picture. So be very careful what pictures you take. And I think that's a better phrase to say because you don't even have to introduce the notion of dirty pictures yet, but (laughs) you you can introduce the notion that it's not yours. Once you send something to another person via Snapchat, via Instagram, via text messaging, It doesn't matter how it's sent. Once you send something to another person, it is now out of your control. They have control of that. And again, I think that's a really simple way because screenshots can be taken. It's fascinating to me how many kids don't know that Snapchat can actually be recorded. I mean, first of all, nothing ever goes away on the internet. So if it were a crime, it could be retrieved, but also that the other person could be taking screenshots and sharing everything you just put out there. So those are, I think, two really good ways to introduce the notion that something could potentially go awry with phones, with texting, sexting, bullying, dirty pictures, whatever. Now, that I'd say is appropriate around 10 or 11. Somewhere along the line, you have to say the words. You have to say the actual words. And I'll tell you a funny story. My friend was, you know, kind of wild in her 20s, experimented with just about everything. She was a bartender. And I had also been a bartender. And when you live the restaurant life, you, you tend to try things because you're staying up till two or three in the morning. <laughs> and she never, ever, ever tried cocaine. She had tried just about every other drug. And I said, oh, that's so funny. And she said, no, my mother was like, listen to me, you're going to experiment with drugs, but the one thing you can't do is cocaine. Just don't ever do cocaine. And it stuck in her head because her mom was so specific. And I remember when I was growing up, it was heroin. Heroin, one, I don't even know how you do heroin. Like one shot of heroin (laughs) will kill you. You know, it'll, it'll make you die. So for us, it was like, just don't ever do heroin. That was the word. So that is more effective than don't do drugs, right? Like once you had that one word. So there will come a time, and I had it with my son, where you have to say, do not send a nude picture. Do not ask anybody for a nude picture. Do not ask for an armpit, a toe, a butt, nothing. Just full face selfies. That's it. Nothing else. Don't ask for pictures, period. There's something so creepy about asking a person to take a picture. Like, If you need a picture, go get their picture off of Instagram, the picture that they willingly shared on the internet. So you will have to say those words eventually, but you don't have to say them, you know, as you're giving your child their first phone. (laughs) I think it's far more valuable to say anything that is on somebody else's phone is out of your hands. Whether you sent that to them or whether they took it, it's out of your hands. And you need to be aware of that because that can be spread everywhere. So those are the conversations that have to happen. And I hope that makes like a little timeline for you, you know, like zero to four, you're introducing anatomy, you know, that's your arm, that's your vagina, that's your toe, that's your nose, that's your butthole. You can say all those things, you know, just in passing, you know, round five or six, you might want to start introducing the slang, how other people, Hey, have you heard other terms? You might want to start introducing the basic mechanics, get a book, get a visual. There are eight to help you, YouTube videos, but you know, you want to start introducing the mechanics 
Because again, you will revisit that again. Then around eight or nine, you really want to start prepping for puberty. I know that most of you guys are like a totally different generation of parenting than how I was parented. The amount of people my age who were not told anything, girls who got their period thought they were dying because they didn't know, you know, obviously I think we've come a long way and probably most of you are know that you will be having those conversations with your seven, eight, nine-year-old, but you want to prepare those things, you know, and let them know what's going to happen. What's going to happen? What is masturbation? But what does it feel like? What does it feel like when you climax? Because that can also be an interesting component. Me personally, I didn't masturbate as a young child, but I have friends who are like, oh yeah, I remember the first time I climaxed. I was like 10 years old. So it can happen a lot sooner than you think. So you want your child to be prepared, but you also want to foster this like openness about these conversations because you do want your child to come to you with any sticky situations, whether it's a crush that's being a little too heavy handed or whether it's an actual like real bad situation, you want them to come to you. Now, there's a big controversy about monitoring phones, not monitoring phones. I think it's very, it's very, very tricky. I just started to because I realized I was seeing some behavior from Pascal, that was changed. He got different all of a sudden and it got scary to me. And I realized I didn't quite know what was going on. And I contacted a lot of people who have kids that are older than him and have turned out perfectly good human beings. And I got a variety of responses, but largely it was like, you should have something set up so you can look at it. There's these remote services. I'm using family orbit. So not only can you track like where they are at any given time, but you can track you can look at actual, you know, it's, you can spy, you can look at everything that's going on. I have very mixed feelings about it, even to this moment, but I realized I needed to be a little more prepared as to what was happening behind the scenes and that it is a bit of a different world. Yes, I was at his age, I was getting into a lot of trouble, but it was limited. It was limited to the kids in the neighborhood. It was limited to physical space. There was a protection, you know, a couple of times the local cops picked us up. They knew my parents. They knew where I lived. They dropped us off. Hey, they gave us a warning. It was a a very different time, as my son would say, okay, boomer. So now we have through digital means, you know, you go into your house at night and you lock the doors, but through digital means, just about anybody could be coming into your house. And so I decided to set things up so that I can. I feel very strongly that our kids don't often have a chance to get into much trouble because there's helicopter parenting. Other kids can't. They just don't have the opportunities to sort of experience freedom the way I did when I was a kid. Experience freedom, experience making mistakes and experiencing how to fix those mistakes. And of course, the stakes are really high. You know, the mistakes that you make as a teenager could be drinking and driving and killing people or yourself. There could be drugs are really, we used to be able to just, I don't know, buy a joint off the local guy at the 7-Eleven and now everything's laced with fentanyl. So it's, you know, you can't just go out on the street and experiment with this, that, or the other thing. You know, there's teen pregnancy. The stakes are super high for kids to make mistakes. And I also feel like there's very precious few areas where kids can get privacy. When I went to school, they didn't call about an absence till the next day because nothing was computerized. By the time it got back to whoever that you weren't actually in school for the day, it was like, 
was too late. You know what I mean? And now people tracking their kids via their watch, making sure, you know, knowing where they are at all times, I think it's obsessive. And I think it's a very interesting, it's a totally strange new world of parenting because I want to, by all means, give him a wide berth of privacy and a wide berth to make mistakes, but also be aware that the stakes are so high that I need to be a little more aware. So that's where I've landed on that. And again, daily, I have very mixed feelings about it. So what I've really done is like set it up and I've started to check in, but I, I also don't think it's wise to be watching every single thing that your kid does. I just don't think that's fair to the kids. I think it produces an anxiety in the kids when they know that's happening. And I also know you're going to hear things you don't want to hear and it makes things difficult. So a friend of mine had told me, she said, listen, you're going to have to let a lot of shit go though. Cause you know, you start monitoring like that and you're going to hear, you're going to hear some shit you don't want to hear and you're going to have to let it go. And I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So Anyways, it's it's a whole new world. And if you guys are interested, we can kind of keep dialoguing about it. I think it's something to consider carefully. I'm not embarrassed or ashamed that I have very mixed feelings about it. And I would hope that a lot of parents do. Like, I don't particularly love when I hear a parent say, absolutely, I watch everything they do. And I'm going to make sure that nothing ever happens. You can't do that. And you're going to create rebellion. The other thing is I remember my best friend in high school, her mom was a teen mom. She got pregnant with her at 16. So she was very, very strict. My best friend never was able to sleep over my house. And I know sleepovers, a lot of people don't do sleepovers anymore because too much shit has happened. But sleepovers were really big when I was a kid. She had to go right home after school. She couldn't go out after seven. Like she had really, really strict rules. And she ended up having a baby at 16 because your kid's going to find a way to have sex. Even if you think that you're monitoring at all times, guys, teenagers have been outsmarting parents since the beginning of time. So <laughs> so unless you plan on being on lockdown and even then you're still going to create a rebellious attitude. So I would hope that every parent has mixed feelings about it and that you approach it trying to consider your child's privacy as well as their safety and their growth, you know, their growth that they do have to make some of these mistakes on their own and learn. And that's what makes a person That's what makes a person mature, learn from their mistakes. We've got kids who are 23, 24, who have never been allowed to make a mistake and they're really infantilized. And it's, it's a little scary. They can't handle their first job. They can't handle big feelings, you know, learning how to make mistakes and try to fix them behind your parents' back, I think is one of the most useful skills. One of the things I love about Stranger Things is it so reminds me of my childhood. It reminds me of my childhood because, man, we were getting into shit, but our parents were clueless. We tried to fix the mistakes. You know, I was like, that was us. We, we could have easily battled aliens from a parallel universe. <laughs> and then the parents are totally clueless throughout the whole thing. So, um, you know, I think that's a valuable skill. So I think that when we talk about things like monitoring their every move, monitoring their phones, monitoring their devices, you want to really also take your own thoughts with a grain of salt because they should be allowed to make some mistakes and they should be allowed to to try to fix those mistakes without your help. And that, again, is a very, very big skill. One of the things they're saying about helicopter parenting and being too protective and cell phone use is that colleges are completely overwhelmed. So 
Princeton, they have 10 full-time staffs that are parent liaisons because kids don't know how to problem solve without their parents. So they'll get out of class and they'll call their parents immediately and say, you know, my teacher was mean to us. When back a long time ago, you went to college to separate from your parents. You talked to them on Sunday because that's when long distance was free between 9 and 11 a.m. And that's when you talk to your parents and you didn't share every minor infraction that happened to you over the week because you dealt with it. If we don't give our kids the capacity to have a little bit of privacy, have a little bit of a chance to make mistakes, they're never going to gain those skills. So again, sorry, that was kind of rambling, but I thought it was a good conversation to have. Again, when we talk about this is this is all really basically your child's first phone (laughs) conversation. (laughs) And so you can think that you are going to have the staunchest rules in the world, and that may be so, but I can guarantee your child is going to be in contact with a child who has unfettered use of their phone and of the internet. So these are all worth these conversations, talking about sex, talking about all these really hard things. And and again, moving that timeline along so that you're not overloading your kid, you know, like, here's your first phone, don't watch porn. (laughs) All right, you guys, as always, rock on. I appreciate your patronage. I appreciate you, your feedback, your questions, and I hope you have an awesome day. Okay, bye everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. (laughs) You can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.